Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, welcome to Film Fandango, the film podcast. My name is David Reed, and with me... As ever, is Mr. Marek Larwood. Hello, Marek. Hello, David. How are we this week? The usual. The usual. So, pit of despair? I don't think I'm that... Maybe I am. <laughs> Maybe I am. It's always good to see, think the worst. I've said this before, because then you're pleasantly surprised. It's an interesting theory. Um, yeah, I haven't tried it myself. It's working in this industry, because the worst... I basically work in the media, which is an industry full of liars who want to say the good things to you purely for their own egos, that you just start mistrusting everyone and thinking nothing's going to happen, and it normally wasn't that what, what happened. Yeah, yeah. And people think it's a self-perpetuating myth that you've got negative thoughts lead to negative thoughts. These people are idiots. <laughs> As you get older, you realise that you know you, you just become wiser. And maybe that is that wiseness can be mistaken for bitterness, but it is not bitterness. It so is wise. Is this wisdom? Is this wisdom not wiseness? It's wiseness. Is this wisdom leading to more work? It's just being very wary. Okay. Who do you want to follow through the minefield? The guy just running out there with his hands waving his hands everywhere, skipping. The guy with the optimistic atmosphere. Uh, yeah. Um, Atmosphere, no. Or uh, attitude, yeah. Or do you want to follow the the careful person who is taking step by step and always thinking they might potentially be blown up at any moment? Yeah. Well, the second guy. I yeah. Think. Well, I okay. Think the second guy. Well, you're right. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're not here to talk about minefields or nervous breakdowns. <laughs> we're here to talk about films. Films. Now. It's a it's a strange time at the cinema at the moment. It feels like uh, it's all slowed down a bit for me. I don't understand the the weird periods of the year. Why all the good films are it around the Oscar times stacked in? Well, why are they? But why are they? I know it's weird because the, that, the hype leaks through to the the, the Academy uh, voting panel. But, and but why are they all released? Because they, these films they go to all their. Um, can all the festivals, yeah, and then the production companies decide, or the um, the distribution companies decide when they're going to be released. Why do they always release them? I know in the winter, more people are going to cinema, but April Bank Holiday, May Bank Holiday, uh, uh, the May Bank Holiday is normally rainy. Lots of people go to the cinema. Mm. Why aren't there films all year round? Where, where we've got this weird summer glut. 
I don't know. I can't answer that. They always stick um, big uh, blockbusters in there, and then things don't go up against them. That seems to be the... Well, I don't understand it. It, oh. it must be numbers. I mean, they'll have just looked at sales figures and gone, these sorts of films don't do well at this time of year, let's never do that again. Uh, and then if word gets around, it becomes it becomes religion, doesn't it? It becomes magic. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But you have seen a film in the cinema. Yes, I went... Um, well, this is a film I'm going to talk about. I saw just over a week ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went on a bank holiday. Okay. Which is always a, a not very nice idea. Well, is it a bit more crowded, a bit more... Yeah, I'm so lucky that because I... Um, I always wonder as being not being poor, but I do get to... <laughs> working unconventional t- times, you get to go to cinema during the day. Yes. Which is one of the greatest things. Well, I, for the first time in uh, a long time this morning, uh, had to go in to work... Uh, early, so I had to get the rush hour tube. Yeah, horrible. I don't understand how most people aren't just ill all the time. I mean, you're crammed into a hot, sweaty space with these, you know, coughing people. Yeah. I mean, no wonder they go to the gym so often, Marek, and, and drink all of these kale shakes and There's things. There's too many people. Did it for about eight years. Terrible. Um... I went to go and see Far From The Madden Crowd. We're talking about rush hour. The, I yeah, mean, Far From The Madden Crowd seems quite crowd. apt. Um... <laughs> Uh, uh, my one of my local cinemas, the Muswell Hillodian, as usual, is something wrong. Yeah, what was wrong this time? Well, they've got one. They've got three screens. Yeah. So they've got the one huge, beautiful, um, huge big screen. Screen one. Yeah, and then they've got the two downstairs. Screens two and three. Two and three with a wall in there. With, oh yes, wait, with bleed through. The right. bleed. There was a kids' film next door. I don't know what it was. Was singing and Ma- Far From Manning Crowd's quite a quiet. My rock. guess would be the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. No, I think it's to me another, another kids' film. The bleed was really bad, really for the first was it half that an hour. Purple animated, yeah, alien dinosaur yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. It was re- that's it's unacceptable to have that bleed in a cinema. Yeah. It is simply unacceptable. Well, it is. I I think it's you are paying for an experience. That's what the cinema is supposed to be. We've said it before, and you know they need to control that experience. That you're not paying them to just press play on their projector. That's not what you're paying for. Yeah, that needs to be. You needs to be a properly soundproof cinema soundproof wall. Maybe you're losing that cinema's never full. Even if you lose one column of seats, yeah, one bit, you know, one seat off there, you soundproof that wall. So like we've no soundproof bleed. this wall, like so this, th- there's like never any bleed of here. traffic or sirens. I don't. I We're think providing a service. There should be someone who actually gives the cinemas. You know, when you go to food hygiene and in, in you go to restaurants and they've got the food hygiene thing certificate. Yeah, yeah and outside, some it's only out of five, and some of them occasion they put the certificate in the front of their door and it says food hygiene four, <laughs> and you think well, what? Why would you put that... There was only one turd in yeah. the fryer, and that was it. So I we're very that, proud of I that. I find that worrying. They should say, this screen is a... They should be not able to charge as much. They put it up... It was like 11 quid for yeah. a, a not so You're saying like a thing. Michelin star system for cinema experiences. Yeah. We should start that. The uh, the Film Fandango ratings. Yeah. And then people, if we... You know, if they can see an actual return in sales from it, then, uh, you know... But Muswell Hill has been bought, apparently, by the Everyman Group. They're all right. The audience, it should be better. Then, you know, I don't know how many cinemas you can own and still be called independent, but, yeah, you know. Anyway, let's talk about the film. That's me, Mary. Yeah. As usual, on a bank holiday, far from money crowd, there are lots of women in their 50s, 
and uh, you uh, and me and there was I could see people I wasn't on the receiving end of this of the gossiping again there was a case of someone gossiping all the way through to the start of the first person oh, talking I not across it. I could see this woman's head in the distance she had white hair in the cinema yeah. and her head just talking constantly for half an hour and the people behind I could see by the way because the Muswell Hill cinema was not you know it wasn't completely dark yeah, yeah. I could see the faces of the people behind getting increasingly more pissed off but they don't talk. say anything, do they? I mean, no, but it was just literally someone just talk. They looked like they were talking, and it always seems to be in Crouchin. It must be like this this particular type of, you know, the educated, rich, well-off people, and they behave like arseholes. Anyway, Did she, but she shut up as soon as the characters start talking. Yeah, literally, we'll start as yeah. soon as it gets not quiet. good enough. Yeah. Not good enough. So, Far From the Madden Crowd. Okay. What is it about for people who do not know? Well, it's based on a Tom Hardy novel. It's a famous novel. I've ne- Not the actor Tom Hardy, of course. No, Thomas Hardy. Yes. Um, I I did an English degree and I had to try and read Tessa D'Urbervilles and Far From the Madden Crowd. Yeah. I gave up on Thomas Hardy and I've tried to read him a couple of times because I found it so monumentally dull. He uh, he was uh, an apprentice architect before he was a writer, okay. and one of his jobs was to clear out the graves in St Pancras Churchyard for the building of the new Victorian Railway that would go to St Pancras. And so he had to exhume all of the graves, and to honour the dead... He uh, created what is now called the Hardy Tree, which is still in St Pancras Churchyard for you to see, which is an incredible Tim Burton-esque uh, spiral of stu- tombstones with a tree growing out of them that's oh, really? become one one thing. It's an amazing little thing. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, a little bit of local knowledge. So that's about, that's about what, uh, 200, 300 yards from here? Oh, and have you ridden the um, Thomas Hardy? I now... I think I may have read Tess of the D'Urbervilles, but yeah. a long time ago. Yeah, I'd give up. If I don't find a book interesting the first 70 pages, I give up. That's the cut-off. Yeah, I started trying, when I was younger, I started trying to read all the classics. and Some of oh, classics were a very good reason. Yeah, and then some the, you just go, this is, oh, Things like slow. The Woman in White, I really loved, you know. Um, Gulliver's Travels, I thought was great. But a lot of them, I just, I, I just think, I can see where how you change the... This changed the course of literature, mm. but if I'm really honest with myself, I'm not enjoying this. Mm. Some Ford Maddox Ford book of it was boring. Or oh, James Joyce. I was talking to a friend about James Joyce. Oh, it, yeah. tedious. Yeah, I've read um, I've read Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man and Dubliners, and I so, bought Ulysses. I was just like, no, I can't. I can't. Be doing this. I it's more it. academically interesting than yeah. actually enjoyable to. Anyway, anyway. But far from the Madden Crown, what's the plot? Right, so it's a story of um, Bathsheba Everdeen, who is she starts off and she's uh, has been a, has been a is an educated was about to be a governor's working on a farm, and she gets left this farm by her uncle. At the start of it, she's working on a farm, and um, Gabriel Oak, the farmer from uh, the uh, adjoining farm who is just a really nice, good man, not uh, not too much personality, an honest, decent man, would make a good husband, Yeah, who proposes to her. Mr Oak. Um, she wants, She's too independent, and she wants to go off and do her own thing. But he loses all his flock of sheep and becomes poor. She inherits a farm and takes control of a farm, and it's just a story of her running the farm, um, which Mr Oak goes to work for her, 
Oh no, um, after they used to be more equals. Yeah, and then the next, there's a rich uh, neighbour played by, um, what's his name, who's in everything, Michael Sheen, mm-hmm. who's a bit of a cold man, who hasn't really got much emotion, but he falls in love with Kerry Mulligan. Um, and then, Shiva Everdeen. And then there it's is... A hell of a name. And then there's a, a, a soldier who uh, who's a, quite... Uh, charismatic at the start so it's Sergeant a, Francis Troy it's a love story about uh, these three men who love me is that the, it's uh, pretty much it yeah yeah uh, it, it seems a love square yeah, a love square with a strong female lead. corner now Kerry Mulligan hello I don't know it, I'm still unconvinced whether she annoys me or not okay I I mm. I haven't seen an education, which is the one that made her, isn't it? That yeah. was the. I still haven't seen that. I've seen it's all right. Yeah. I've seen Shame. I've seen Drive. I've Shame seen, and Drive are brilliant films. I've seen uh, that one with Keira Knightley and Andrew Garfield, where they're when all they're the, clones. The novel one that spoilers. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, which the name of which I can never remember. She is very charismatic. Never let, never let me go. Never let it? me yeah. go. Yeah. Um, She's very charismatic. I Inside the world, David, she's in as well. Um, here's my problem with her. Yeah. She does this look, and a lot of this is in... You know, every single period drama, every single one, there's always that scene when they're in church. <laughs> yeah. The female character is reading her book and looks coyly upwards. Yes. In the opposing aisle... The male character... Slightly be, further forward, so he has to look back to see or, her. Yeah, somewhat, or uh, the, always the opposing aisle. There's either one or two male characters, and they do the look, they look down, and they sort of, she does this coy smile. I want to do a Kerry Mulligan... Is that the right? Coy smile? That sort of yeah, yeah. coy smile count per film. I think that's... Uh, Dave's doing it now. <laughs> it's uh, To describe it to you, it's a look sort of into the distance... A look down, a sort of half smile, sort of semi-flirtatious smile to yourself, and look up. That is the Kerry Mulligan look, which she's almost doing in ninety percent of every single scene. She's mulliganing. Been. The it, Mulligan. Have we talked about before? I think there's at least if you watched the Kerry Mulligan films back to back, I think you'd find it really you'd, 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 you'd be exposed. I think she's done enough movies for a supercut now of mulliganing. Just the mulligan. Look down, look... The look down, smile to yourself, look up. A mulligan. But if it works, I mean... It works, but people are starting to catch on to the... I've spoken to a couple of people about this mulliganing. People are starting to catch on to it. I think you'd be fine with the mulliganing if she was bringing more to the table. I'm getting the sense you think she's only got one weapon in her arsenal. She's a good actress. But this film, a lot of it, with these period dramas, it's just... I know, Kerry Mulligan walks up to this farmer. Mr Oak, how are your... I don't know. Sheep are looking well today? A look. He just looks at her. If you had a conversation like that in real life, it wouldn't be... In these romantic dramas, there's music playing underneath and it's sort of... This is, it's, it's, the atmosphere is pregnant with flirtation. Yeah, yeah. In real life, have a conversation with the someone. Awkward. Yeah, it'd be this. Uh, Mr Reed, You've... Pigs are looking quite quite muddy. Yeah, yeah, they um, they tend to. 
Well, uh, I shall be seeing you, Mr. Reed. Yes, likewise. And that is probably so. That is a typical scene yeah. in this thing. I thought that was wonderful. By the I way, mean, I mean, we should write that up. I have slowly fallen <laughs> in love with you, but it's just that. But more, a lot of looking into the distance and a lot of. Um, it's Ted and Ralph, isn't it? It's the fast show. I think found it yes. beautifully. It's yeah. exactly Ted and Ralph. So um, you feel like you you know exactly what's going to happen. You see, you know the bad, the soldiers is, but. I went for a really bad piss in this film. <laughs> Not a really bad. What do you mean by bad? As in timing wise. Oh, okay. I mean, I didn't. It wasn't like, oh, God, it's going. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was picturing. It's going everywhere. Um, I went literally at the, probably the worst minute and a half, two minutes, and I don't know what it took with the film. It's where. The one thing happens. Well, Kerry, I think because the book is so big, I remember seeing Five Money Crown. I think it's, I don't know how many pages it is. I'm sure it's about. Because I tried about four hundred pages, so yeah. it does feel as though they're packing in a lot, condensing it a lot to try yeah. and get in. So there's some of the actions aren't believable because they realise they've got to cover this huge book where yeah. there could be about two or three films. Um, but uh, she, she pretty much got married and fell in love in this two minutes. I went to the loo, so I'm re- with a soldier, with a bad soldier bloke. Sorry, spoilers. So they um, were, they were flirting by the pigs. You go for a bad piss, and when you come back, she's got children. No, and it was they're, just, it was just they're like, having a divorce. It was just like oh, something. <laughs> I really missed something important. I yeah. think I was really annoyed. I know someone sent me a, a link to a good time to go for a wee yeah. in a film. I went for a bad piss uh, during Prometheus as well. Oh, did you? Uh, when yeah, was that? Yeah. When uh, they don't they they're dissecting the alien head, and uh, okay. does it explode or something? I missed all of that. Didn't yeah. know what had happened. You almost need. Something you know when when the adverts are going to come on TV, they used to that thing flash in the corner. They the still box. do, yeah. yeah. It depends on your telly. You My know, TV's. Um, you know why that too is? Small to the... You know why that's there? Why? It's to it's to tell the broadcasters oh. that we're coming up to an advert break, and it used to be hidden because TVs used to have curved corners, oh, so the TVs okay. at home wouldn't see it. But nowadays, because we have proper square ones, I okay. think because my TV's so rubbish, I can't doesn't. I don't see that anymore. Okay. They should just have, just in the corner, mm. a, a, a piss dot. Okay, if you need to go halfway through, here is it. Here, here is. If you want to avoid bad pissing, then yeah. go now. Um, I think I think that's a good service. I mean, I, I would be interested in uh, uh, our listeners' worst bad pisses. Uh, personally, if if they would like to yeah. tell us what was the 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 baddest piss that you went for during a film and missed the most important details, then you can email us dearfilmfandango at gmail dot com. If the film weren't so long, if there weren't so many, tr- they got one of the adverts at the yeah. start, or I just want, but I want to get an early on the bank holiday because I didn't. Want to, I want to sit. I like sitting in the back. Yeah, and I want to sit there and look menacing. Since so I had my space, I didn't want to get a rubbish seat. Basically, yeah. you know what would so be got- menacing though, catheter. Just on plonk, the seat next to me. The, the bag on the uh, on the seat next to you. Yeah. <laughs> Although you run the risk of someone not noticing and then sitting down hard on it um, and setting it all piss. back up. That would be about. Oh, right. oh my god. <laughs> um, anyway, I'll just go back to the film. So, yeah. Matthias Schoenartz, who we might you might recognise from Rust and Bone as the. Um, yeah, he's he was very good in Rust and Bone. I've seen the, the trailer. Called, Bullhead as well. His English accent's very good. Occasionally it's a bit off. Is it? He's very good. I mean, he's obviously this handsome... Uh, Street fighter. Yeah. Matt, I mean, oh, there's too many spoilers in it, but you just think he's... He was he was good at it, but he's just playing clearly 
the female love interest yeah. because he got really that much of a looking into distance a bit much and he can act really well I think I don't yeah. think he was, maybe he's not given the opportunity to but that's not for you is it I mean it's a... not it, it's not really my film it was all it's a perfectly fine Sunday afternoon drama that's not a spectacular uh, period drama it's just, it's just a steady what, period what drama. is in your opinion do you are you a fan of the genre period drama because what you've described in the mulliganing isn't isn't necessarily a new thing I mean it's it's all like that isn't it the, the Jane Austen ing of it of it um, it just felt the same it felt like the same I, I hate those looks because it just seems so fake just looking into the distance and and just the whole way of doing it there's nothing it just feels quite laboured to me and I don't find it particularly interesting yeah I mean as we've probably established in this podcast I'm a bit of an arsehole so that's probably why no don't do that to yourself I, it was alright I give it uh, six Marics. six Marics. six Marics. well far from the madding crowd there we go uh, guess what what people have written in what do they want, these people? They all want, Why do they keep handling us? They all want different things. Okay, what does the first one want? Um, all right, then. Here, 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 here. <laughs> is that your idea of filling? Here, here, is. here, here is. He says, can you do this? It's from Alan Russell. He's asked for an Argentinian accent. Uh, Argentina... I don't know if that is Argentinian at all, well, actually. Mexican beer. He's a Mexican accent. Dear David Maragamburi, on your recommendation, I tracked down Wild Tales. Absolutely brilliant. I loved all six stories, but the highlight for me was the fight scene after the car breakdown. Witty, beautifully shot, and surprising twists in each of the tales. My question to you is this. What are your favourite short movies? My choice is a bit of a fraud. I think of each act in the Kill Bill movies as a short story and would select the demise of Bud, Bud, Michael Madsen's character, as my favourite. If I'm not cheating, do the Wallace and Gromit films count as shorts? Keep watching the films, Alan. Uh, well, yes, Wild Tales. I watched it a number of weeks ago. It's excellent, and I would agree. I would agree with Alan. It's um, the... The fight in the car breakdown short film in that is such a highlight. I haven't seen it. It's great. I heartily recommend it. Argentinian six short stories about revenge. Um, Favorite short films. You could say Pulp Fiction is the same thing, really, isn't it? That's it's an it's a yeah, like a portmanteau, really, but it's not quite. But um, yeah, short stories within another story or whatever. But does is he asking actually? Short stories within a feature film, or actually just short short films. Yeah, I don't really. I can't. I just think of things I've seen on Vimeo that I've quite uh, yeah, enjoyed. Yeah, I, I, I do too. But then I tend they tend to be quite transient. You sort of go, "That was good." I won't watch it again. You know what I mean? There's there's so many short films out there. None none actually spring to mind. I'm trying to think of anthology feature films though that like Wild Tales. Um, and I'm failing to do so, so that's, that's well, you know... everyone can send in their own short films. Um, yes, in fact, if, if you, you know, if you have any particular favourite short films, or if you've made one even and want to share it with the listeners, then send it to us. Well, here's an email from uh, Christine at Short Film Sunday, who's a big supporter of our podcast, and they uh, post, if you look up Short Film Sunday on the internet, 
they sent posts short films every week you can that they pick out which are really really good perfect um uh oh shall I read this one out yes okay hi guys I'm reading this voice it's a good voice hi guys hope you're well uh, I really enjoyed Eric's questions which is the the guy from we did a couple of weeks ago anyway the music question was tough uh, what was the music question about? What What are the best songs from... I, I think it was jukebox songs, as in songs that in movies that are actual songs rather than for soundtrack. If, does that make sense? Yeah. Not score, as in songs, songs. Yeah. Uh, the music question was tough. There are some famous instances like I Would Always Love You, written for the stage show of Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, but used in The Bodyguard. Yes. Or Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes, used in Say Anything. Neither of those are my favourite, but I would say there's a stretch of John Cusack films where the soundtracks are terrific collections of music. There's tons of Seattle bands used for Say Anything, and Gross Point Blank makes fantastic use of music with Minnie Driver's character being a DJ. Joe Strummer composed the score, but they are used really can't fail. And High Fidelity takes full advantage of the playlist format, Hard to Beat the Beta Band moment with Dry the Rain. Those both are both still soundtracks I listen to with great mix of classics and some guilty pleasures. My other moment might be Hotline by The Silvers in Miguel Arteta's Cedar Rapids. It's a terrific little indie film and I was happy to hear an old disco song that hadn't been used in a hundred other films. Hope to hear some others too. Thanks, Christine. Super. So there's some film soundtrack things. Yeah, I used to have the Gross Point Blank soundtrack as well. It's interesting that, isn't it, where they justify the soundtrack through the uh, the story or you know the character in it. Mm. Radio is a common one, you know. The number of films that start with a radio playing so they can put a pop song just to inject energy right up top. I think um, Groundhog Day is a great start to... Uh, What's the song that keeps playing? Uh, it's... Uh, 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 <laughs> I don't know what it is. I, can, I can't remember. Is that. it I've Got You, Babe? Yes. Yeah. Um, here's an email. It's from Tim Walker. <laughs> what accent does he want? Doesn't say. Doesn't say. Um, Dear David and Marek Thanks again for a great podcast last week I will definitely look out for Wild Tales After your entertaining review I wanted to quickly write in It's a long email, it's not that quick About the subject of trailers Which isn't something you've covered recently But I feel some of the latest trailers Are ruining the film experience This week, Universal Pictures released an extended version of a trailer for Jurassic World, and I watched it alongside the latest teaser trailer for J.J. Abrams for his upcoming Star Wars film. These are two films that I've been looking forward to ever since I heard about their production, but I am now in a very different position because my interest in one of the films has massively increased and my interest in the other film has vanished to nothing. And all because of their trailers. The Jurassic World trailer made me feel as if I had seen the entire film as a three-minute short and maybe leaving out a few of the money shots. (laughs) <laughs> okay. There's no definition of money shots. Yeah, I, th- I think he's using it metaphorically. Uh, <laughs> I hope. I'd I hate hope. to see Tyrannosaurus Rex go off. Oh. Uh, other than those, I got the whole film. It's about a bunch of lead actors shouting run to a large group of extras, and then all the actors performing shock reactions to what we all know is a green screen and probably empty space in a studio somewhere. No one believes in CGI monsters anymore. 
And I, and I am just bored of the whole scientists dabbling in things they shouldn't be dabbling in type of script. Spoiler alert! The scientists create a new mega dinosaur. It escapes. It destroys the island. They find a way to kill it. I was excited about Jurassic World because I thought it would take the idea of dinosaurs among people to a new level. It doesn't. It essentially, it's essentially a tired repeat of Jurassic Park with far less interesting actors and with what seems to be no original ideas at all. I won't be watching Jurassic World after all, and it's all due to the trailer. It simply shows too much. In contrast, the Star Wars trailer is a genuine tease, and the trailer shows just enough to make me really want for more. J.J. Abrams is excellent at spinning out a mystery, and he definitely doesn't want to give anything away in this trailer, which makes the film much more attractive. I will be pre-ordering my tickets for Star Wars as soon as they let me. I can never make up my mind about the usefulness of trailers. On the one hand, they're a great bit of foreplay, but on the other hand, they can ruin a decent film experience, because you learn too much. I would love to hear about your favorite or worst trailer experiences. My worst is Prometheus. The trailer was stunning and mystifying. In extreme contrast, the film was such a confused mixture of awfulness that when everyone left the cinema, I still remember the stunned, embarrassed silence as we all shuffled out. That's it. Love the podcast and keep watching the films. Much love, Tim Walker. Uh, thank you, Tim. Uh, yes, I'm in total agreement with all three of your points there. I thought Jurassic World... I, I wasn't that excited by another Jurassic Park sequel, but I had an open mind, and the, the trailer does make it look duff. Star Wars, they've been very cool about just I don't really like sneaking. Star Wars. I they, love Star Wars. But they, they've made it look... Awesome. Yeah. It does look awesome. They, and they, they perfected the art of just, just leaving it to your imagination. Well, into your the CGI conversation there as well. I can't remember if I talked about this... Um, on the podcast before, but I've heard a story that um, Simon Pegg uh, showed his daughter The Empire Strikes Back for the first time. And Simon Pegg is a good friend of J.J. Abrams from being Scotty in the Star Trek films. He's writing Star Trek 3. And he showed his daughter this film. And she'd seen the prequels, the, the more modern ones, but not the originals. And for the first time, she turned to her dad and went, Daddy, Yoda's real. And she was amazed because he's a puppet, not a CGI thing. Oh, yeah, and this yeah. was a, you know, um, this is a young kid who's been brought up with CGI. It's always existed. And she was charmed by the puppet. Simon Pegg told J.J. Abrams this and he took note and he's done as much practical effects in the new Star Wars film as possible. Mm. So the robot uh, is real. It's an incredible robot that is a sphere with a head. The head just stays on the top of the sphere, and it's really, yeah, yeah, you know. And they've done as many practical sets and all of this, and uh, proper prosthetic makeup and puppets and all the rest, because that's what a Star Wars film is. Mm. And so I, I am genuinely looking forward to it. I think it might be, it might be very Do good. Do they ever remake the, all the prequels because they're so shit? I mean, by and large, I think if you failed, just leave it behind. Um, and if you succeeded, leave it alone. Uh, but who knows? I mean, Star Wars, I don't think they can because George Lucas is a is a god to those people. So I don't think they can say he screwed up. Um, I think they'll just have to move forward, frankly. Okay. Um, but, um, yeah, worst trailer experiences. Prometheus, again, I totally I agree. I agree with Prometheus. It was such an exciting trailer, and then the film was trousers. Yeah. Utter trousers. Um, space trousers, in fact. 
Trying to think other good ones that ruin it. A lot of them ruin it. Uh, the best trailer. I remember watching the Seven trailer years and years ago. Mm. I think I've got to go and see that film. It looks. The trailer was amazing. Yeah. And the film was just as good. A lot of the time with bad trailers, I just. I don't go and see the film. Yeah. I remember one I particularly liked when I was younger was the trailer for Train Spotting because it was nothing yeah, brilliant, to do with the brilliant, film, yeah. and it but it was so intriguing because it was nothing like anything you've it's seen short before. Fr- they, but they, it was brilliant. It's a he, short they were film, tying yeah. him to the railroad tracks, and he was speaking directly into camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, he was saying, "Do this in life, don't do that, and whatever you do, don't let your friends tie you to the railway tracks." And we were just like. That sounds exciting, and is a situation of jeopardy that is nothing to do with the film whatsoever. Yeah. But it, it got you hooked, and then they had the um, you know the uh, born slippy or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, underworld. Yeah, yeah, dun, 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 and some shots from the movie, but you didn't know what it was. No, it's they can really ruin a film experience, especially in something with a slight story. If something's got a fairly off the peg story, and it's the the journey and the characters that are exciting, it just turns you off it and we've said it before the comedies I think suffer the most from this because you can watch a good story again and again and again knowing what's going to happen because the journey is exciting with jokes they will never have the same impact as the first time you heard them and in comedy trailers they put their best jokes in it so the film is always underwhelming because you go and you just huh yeah that one again I've heard that I wonder how important trailers are. I think people just go to cinema through word of mouth. I don't know how how much good it does them. I'm really intrigued. I think people talk about stuff after they get excited by the trailers, and I I think they do work. But I I personally I think if you know you're a blockbuster, you can afford to put money aside in the budget to uh, to throw curveballs at people and get them excited with scenes that aren't in the film, and just so that the actual experience of the story is fresh. Yeah, that's mine. A qu- I'll do a couple more quick emails. This yeah. is from Fran Jolly. Uh, he hasn't um, specified an accent. I thought the Avengers move. move he, hasn't, he missed out the eye in movies, but move. I'll leave it out. I saw the Avengers move last week. Yeah, it's not bad once you get past CGI bashing and plot holes. But which book, stroke, comics do you think would make a decent silver screen adaptation? I'm surprised Roald Dahl's The Twits and George's Marvelous Medicine haven't been made into movies as they were my five children's books. I think you would enjoy Kevin Pollack's documentary Misery Loves Comedy. He talks to pretty much all the biggest stand-ups in modern history and Freddie Prince Jr. (laughs) is available on iTunes. I love going clear and punk syndrome, by the way. Keep on podding. Thanks, Fran. Um, we will keep on podding. What do you think are the best... Uh, what books should be made into the silver screen? Uh, particular favourites of mine are uh, George MacDonald Fraser's Flashman novels, which were made into a film a long time ago with uh, uh, Malcolm McDowell, I believe, in the lead role, and it's it's not great. But it's um, th- his character is this um, uh, absolute rakish cad who everyone believes is the uh, archetypical uh, British colonial hero but he's an absolute coward and a shit and he's just there at every historical event and he always comes out on top he's the total anti-hero and they're very very funny and entertaining Um, but I think they would make absolutely brilliant films Um, but apart from that I don't know What what do you reckon I quite think the Twits is quite a good call. Uh, what do I like? I like com- the comic books. Like, is it Art Spiegelman's Mouse, that famous one? Yeah. Is it brilliant? 
be oh, hard like, to do. I mean, animation it would have to be. Yeah, be animation, but I think that'd be really good. It'd be really interesting. Mouse is brilliant. Yeah, so I'd really like to see that. Uh, I'm trying to think. I'm looking over at my uh, my bookshelf. Um, my brother's book, Freaks. Yeah. Would be a brilliant. It would be film. the biggest film of all time, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's by Kieran Larwood. It's called Freaks. It's about a Victorian um, a, a group, a, a group of freak show that become detectives by night. Someone should buy that, and make it into a blooming film. Yeah. Um, should I go into the next email? Or? Sure. We'll just do one more, and we'll talk about the next film. Sure um, thing. This is from Lee Wood. He's Welsh. Lee Wood. Hi guys, I'm Welsh. This is Rod Gilbert. This is Rod Gilbert. Rod Gilbert. I recently watched John Wick, and I thought it was great, but I was disappointed that it was already that it has already had a sequel announced. You could see that they were building to it with some scenes in the hotel, but it seems like every film today has now has to be a franchise that can't stand on its own. Take Taken and The Hangover really didn't need three films. Do you ever get disappointed when you were? You hear a film has a sequel. Matrix sequels really burnt me. What films do you really hate there was... Do you really hate there was a sequel for? And what films deserved a sequel but did not get one? Thanks, Lee. Sent from my iPhone. <laughs> um, well, uh, John Wick, yeah, it's, um, it's been getting good, good reviews. Yeah. Yeah. Like to see it, and Keanu Reeves is, you know, he's been quiet for a while, hasn't he? Yeah, because like, he, he turned down a film. Is that story in there? He turned down or speed. So I can't. I don't know exactly what it is. So I'm just. This is just yeah. a rubbish story. Apparently, he turned down some film when he pissed off the main, bit like 20th century or one. Oh, really? Because uh, he didn't really work as much. Ah, well, he's. I think he's a very watchable leading man. I think he's. I think he's good. Um, uh, we'll check out John Wick. But yeah, when they. When they obviously set up sequels, it feels a bit cheap to me. It feels like begging. You know, you deserve your sequel if you've if you've rounded off a really good film well. You know, then a sequel can happen. You don't need to go, oh, the next case looks even more intriguing because that's a bad end to a film. Yeah. Unless you're setting up, um, you know, a trilogy of films or or. A, a duo of films where you know you've got a larger story to tell, but when it's just this story has finished, yeah, let it finish, and if we and we'll want more, yeah, you know, we will. I, I, that, that is basically you know what I think. I mean, sequels is a tricky one because if it, if they've created a really good character and a really good world they inhabit, then yeah, give us more. Fine, uh, not everything has to be a trilogy. You don't have to have an overarc that's going through that's it. I, I think I, I'm a big fan of the original. You know. Indiana Jones films that are all standalone stories or Lethal Weapon that are all standalone stories yeah. or whatever. Um, you know, whatever works for you, but it's when they just follow market forces to go, trilogies are in, or it's just like, ah, what, what are you doing? I wish, well, the first film I brought in to film Fandango when I was a guest, yeah, many years ago now. It was a long time ago. Uh, was it? Young Sherlock Holmes. I yeah, think. great film. And I really thought he was going to be a big thing, the actor who played Young Sherlock Holmes. And, um, I saw him in a play. I, it wasn't I, a big part. I thought that he. I thought that would have been a great little. Yeah. Because you know he's Sherlock Holmes anyway, so they could have done. There would be standalone things. Yeah. Which, it was an origin story, yeah. wasn't it? Really, because he met Watson for the first time and all of that. But no, that it was a fantastic film. It would have. It would have made great sequels if they'd 
kept up the quality. That was one I thought would because they did they did some really interesting things. It was the first CGI yeah. night. It was the, the, industrial the, light and magic, wasn't it? Yeah, not, the, whole, not the first CGI night. It was the first, oh, first CGI, CGI character, character. I believe. Sorry, yeah, first CGI <laughs> character. I mean, same thing. But it was, I thought it was brilliant, and I wish they had done uh, more of those. Yeah, no, that's a good shout. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the Matrix is the most famous example of when they sort of should have quit while they were ahead. I mean, Jaws. Jaws, well, yeah. I enjoyed Jaws too. Yes, but it's when when is it, I think it's George Four when the shark follows the plane. It follows of, them on holiday. Yeah, and it's Michael Caine in that one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean they they really just they drive them into the ground. I mean Jurassic Park is an example of this. I think like the first one is a, is a really good film, and the sequels have some good sequences, but they're not they're just not devalue great. it. Yeah, just devalue it. Totally devalue. What would be I, and I'm I'm not really for uh, directors who were fantastically gifted and and exciting in their youth running out of ideas, so revisiting their old ideas when they get older. Mm-hmm. So you know George Lucas famously failed at that. Ridley Scott is currently taking a long hot wee over all of his good films. Um, I was looking at his back catalogue actually. And he had one incredible run early on, and then has been hit and miss ever since. Like Coppola, very much like Coppola. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Terminator Two is probably the best. That's your best sequel. That has James got, Cameron, that's different got, director. That's got it both on. sides of the story. Yeah. You've got Terminator Two, amazing. Sequel. Sorry, he did the first one as well. Uh, I'm thinking uh, of Aliens. Uh, Terminator Two, and then you've got Terminator Three being oh trousers, yeah. trousers, and then they they panic and take it off into the future war with Terminator Salvation. Which I didn't is even bother watching it. I watched so incoherent, yeah. it's rubbish. Um, and then uh, yeah, I mean Terminator, leave it well alone. They, they they got too attached to Arnie, but then when they left him, they didn't know what to do with it either. They didn't create any good characters because he's just you know watchable. Anyway, well we're a bit rambling. We've done. That is about forty minutes now. Well, this is this is a gift gonna, of an episode. I was going to talk about another a classic, but we could just—that's probably enough, isn't it? Well, we don't want to keep people. Yeah, I mean, they've got jobs to go to, or you know, yeah. Well, far from the madding crowd and um, a lot of letters this week. Fine, fine, no problem at all. We will be back next week with more films. If you want to email us, please do dearfilmfandango@gmail.com. Or go to Facebook forward slash Film Fandango or tweet us at Mr. David Reed, at Marek Larwood or at Film Fandango. Also, um, despite occasional sponsorship on this, we do do all of this for free. We're just trying to cover our costs. So if you'd like to contribute towards that, then please go to filmfandango.co.uk and follow the link from there. And uh, everyone who's donated, um, thank you very much. Thank you, yes. We'll be back next week. Keep Keep watching the films. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.